I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to another show. This is Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I am your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. Thank you so much for joining me week after week. Some good shows, some not so good shows. <laughs> but the goal here is to have an average that's uphill. Let's say you're looking at a graph sideways here. I guess that's the only way you look at graphs, right? I don't mind dips and rises, as long as ultimately it's leading in an in, in upward motion, if you know what I mean. That's my goal. That's where I'm headed, that steady incline. I understand, and I hope you understand, that sometimes the shows aren't going to pan out exactly the way I expect them to. And how about we talk about last week's episode, for that matter. I had drinking a little bit more than I expected, so uh, my... My ranting was a little more disconnected than I'd hoped. But I, I have to tell you, the interview I thought was amazing. I, I absolutely loved talking with Ari Bach. And the ritual at the beginning. Now, if you saw that live, I think it was a little bit more interesting than just hearing it, uh, like most of you on the podcast did. I'd never heard a ritual uh, performed live before. Um, I, I say live, or listened to, you know, fresh so I was a little bit worried about putting it out there, and because it was such a personal thing, I was a little bit concerned about putting it out there. But I figure, for those of you who may be interested in that sort of thing, maybe that was something interesting for you. I certainly thought it was interesting going back and re-listening to it. There's a lot of theatrics that are involved that you may not have noticed and certainly you would never have even been able to pick up on in the audio version. In, in the video f version, uh, I, I didn't realize how rigid I was. It was like I was watching myself do military maneuvers when I was calling the corners or when I was uh, ringing the bell at, to clear the air at the beginning and end of the ritual. It was very rigid, uh, not very fluid looking at all, though at the time it felt fluid. All in all, I, I got a real big boost out of that ritual, not so much the episode, but it, it made me feel really good, and it sort of refocused myself, which was you know pretty much the goal of that whole thing. And uh, in that case, uh, the magic worked like a charm. Ha, 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 get it? Charm, magic. Anyway. Coming up this week, and this is, might affect next week's episode as well, while I'm spitting out news information at the top of the show here, I have the second annual Man Camp Out. Now, this Man Camp Out was started by two of my friends and I. We had went up into the Uinta Mountains and almost got struck by lightning. We had a storm literally shit on us. And this is the way I saw it. We're a, a number of heretics here. <laughs> None of us really believe in a god at all. 
Uh, and so nature was acting as if it was punishing us for our heresy for all these years. I mean, it was, you know, obviously joking around here, but it was a lot of fun, a little bit scary at times, to be quite honest. And we ended up pitching the tent on like this 35 degree angle in the middle of this downpour of rain with lightning literally striking with invisible distance at the top of this rocky lake. So it was, it was terrifying. It was exciting. And we're hoping because of that experience being so memorable that this annual, this year's man camp out will be just the same. My point is that that's coming up this weekend. So I'm not entirely sure I'm going to be able to get next week's show out on time. I am going to be recording some segments for it live out at the camp out. Um, and this is something where, you know, it's not camping like driving into some bathroom, including, you know, pre-fire pit made space with a picnic table. I mean, we are literally hiking into the middle of nowhere in the Uintas. Genuine concerns are cougars and bears and uh, dehydration, stuff like that. So, of course, we're going to be bringing next to nothing and (laughs) seeing how long we can survive. It's always an adventure. It's always a lot of fun. And our goal here is to obviously keep doing this annually. Um, And I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to it. And if I do miss an episode, I would want to have missed one because of that, rather than being sick or something like that, you know? So, here's knocking on wood, and let's hope that I come back alive so that I can deliver you another, hopefully uphill, on that graph again, episode of Nine Cents. Another thing I wanted to talk about, and and this is something that has really kind of been affecting um, my family lately, and it's it's sort of this continual struggle, is parenting. Now, if, if you're a parent out there... There are a number of things that you have to deal with that I'm not going to get into uh, in this episode, and it's always a challenge, at, at least it was for me, transitioning from focusing entirely on you to focusing entirely on your children. And though I don't think it's very healthy to do, you know, make your children your life, I, I think that actually will stifle their lives quite a bit, but also limit you um, significantly. Uh, your individual growth and such. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having troubles here. When I was a kid, and I was bored because it was the summer and I was at home. I had nothing to do. My friends were out doing something, and I couldn't hang out with them for the moment. And I went to my mom, said, "Mom, I'm bored. Mom, I'm bored. Mom, I'm bored." Over and over, mom, 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 mommy, mommy, mom, mommy. I'm bored, bored. Mom, bored, bored. You know, right? She gets freaking aggravated. Yell at me, leave me alone, it's not my job to entertain you, go read a book, go play a puzzle, go play a game with your brothers and sisters, go outside and play with your dog, etc, etc. And this was something that at an early age sunk into my head. It is not my parents' job to set up playdates, and it is not my, and there wasn't even such a thing as a playdate back then. And it is not my parents' job to entertain me. But now that I'm the parent... It's entirely expected of me to set up little events for my children to keep them entertained. And I would like to know at what point, because I never got the memo, at what point did it become our jobs as parents to literally handhold our children throughout their entire lives? Now, my children are only at the oldest, you know, in the the, um, 9, 10 area. So I don't really... 
I have a long way to go. <laughs> you know, and I have, it's not like I've, I've, I've had one child from, from birth to kicking out of the house and, you know, to speak to this experience. But in my limited experience, halfway to him getting into college or whatever he wants to do, be it the military or whatever, halfway to him leaving my house, I am still trying to figure out how I became the clown at the party. Like, why do I have to take care of this every little thing? And that may sound horrible to some of you, but there was a time when you never did that. You were too busy working or you were too busy taking care of the house itself to sit down and play puzzles with your children every single day at X time or to, you know, just plan out play dates for their friends because at some point in our society we decided everyone was a bad guy and everyone was going to steal and molest your children so you cannot let them out on the streets alone i'm so tired and i've mentioned this a couple times in the show of this bubble wrapped society everyone's wearing bike helmets everyone's wearing knee pads let them get scraped let them fall off their bike it is okay they're going to live and if they don't well, that's a terrible thing to talk about, but let's just say on the harsher side of reality here, stuff like that happens. And you know what? Stuff like that still happens with those stupid-ass bike helmets and with those stupid-ass knee pads. It happens. You have to accept that reality in life is harsh and your children are going to have to adjust in order to survive. And if not, what are we exactly creating for our future? Really? Are these the human beings that we want taking care of us when we're older and breeding the next generation? It's a genuine concern of mine. And it all stems, it all comes down to me having to plan out every single second of every single day for my kids rather than allowing them to have, I don't know, maybe uh, a sense of adventure, uh, a sense of uh, imagination of their own of their own creating and executing. I just... And, and, you know, it could just be me. It could be the area, the culture that I come from. It could be my immediate society. This may not be the same. You know, one size does not fit all here. But it certainly seems like that is the expectation. And it is so frustrating for a parent. Um, I don't mind playing with my kids. I like it. I like spending time with my kids. Um, preferably not sitting around the house playing a stupid board game. I would rather play with my kids um, while we're hiking or going to a hot spring or riding bikes or going on a long walk or doing something together outside. I don't like this whole stay inside because the sun is out and or stay inside because it's raining. I used to go play in the rain because it was fun to play in the rain. Now, if you let your kid out in the rain, oh, they're going to get a cold. Oh, wear a coat and get a, an umbrella and make sure you stay. Give me a break. Give me a break. We need to stop protecting our kids from every little thing. They're going to get sick. They're going to get hurt. It happens. Let's all just understand and accept as a society that that's the reality of it. And stop pretending like we can somehow control the cosmos for, as we perceive it, the better of our children. Because it's not the case. And we can't. That's my rant <laughs> on that. Uh, as I mentioned at the Devil's Show, I do have a really great show for you this week. Today in the Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about ego and the devil. And how the devil is a gentleman. And this was inspired by Letters from the Devil, a publication I've talked about in previous episodes, which if you haven't heard... Go check out. Um, 
it is a fantastic book. But in this, I was just reading one of the articles that uh, Anton LaVey was writing in response to a letter from uh, an individual. And I'll get into it in a little bit here. Uh, but it really sort of inspired this idea because I've been talked to about this um, on a number of occasions as well. I also have in Infernal Informant an article about a disabled boy, seven, decapitated by his dad. This one's going to bring out some emotion in me, so I hope you're prepared for a bit of ranting, maybe yelling, and you know what? I might even cry a little bit. <laughs> probably not. I'll probably just get frustrated and like scream into my pillow. <laughs> Um, and then I also have an article, A Child's Killing Freeze Framed Syria's Tragedy. And this is really an article um, focused on a young girl who was killed in Syria, but I'm going to bring it into the broader Syrian conflict um, and sort of the implications of that and why we haven't done anything as of yet uh, as a nation. In Creature Feature, this is an interview that I recorded a very long time ago, and I'm very happy to finally get to it. Raoul A. with Chaos Sedated. I'm going to be talking about, and this is, again, in line with all of those Radio Free Satan-centric podcasts that I've been going through, and I'm not done yet. I still have a couple more, and you know what? They're already scheduled to line up, so those of you who have written in requesting specific people I talk to, you know who you are. It's coming. It is in the mail. This week... Rowley with Chaos Sedated. Great interview. Great interviewee. Uh, it, it really was a pleasure talking with Rowley. And I've only met him once before this interview. Um, I feel like he's a very comfortable person to talk to. Very laid back, but very, you know, um, solid uh, in the genre and in um, sort of the, uh, I guess, DJ slash podcasting realm. And we're going to talk about that. And that's going to be the entirety of a show. So I hope you're going to hang out with me for it. It's going to be a great one. And how about at the very top of the show, we jump right into, as usual, the devil's advocate now. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I raise up my voice that you may hear to the east and to the west I beckon. To the north and to the south, I show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the devil's advocates. Welcome to the devil's advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. We are talking today about ego and the devil, and how to address the devil in a manner of speaking. So the article here is literally talking about this gentleman's experience for living his life as a holy following Christian, a, a good, I believe he refers to Jehovah's Witness here at, at one point here. So I'm assuming that that's the faith he's coming from. And everything that he's prayed for has not happened. Literally, all of the energy and time that he's devoted toward his Christian savior or master has led him nothing but heartache and pain. And ultimately, when he finally gives up on that and he turns to the devil, then his luck changes and he begins to have more success in life. And he then asks how he should be addressing the devil um, and if this experience is familiar with other people. And I'm going to talk about it from my perspective here for a minute, 
and what I think is really at the core of this article. But I also want to address something here that Anton LaVey had written, because it speaks heavily to the culture in which we live as Satanists and those of you out there who aren't. And he says this, uh, I'm I'm just going to read a, a little bit of this here. They seem ignorant to the fact that Lucifer's ego is, and always has been, in pretty good shape. God, on the other hand, has always had an ego problem. Lucifer, once God's fair-haired boy, got himself demoted and banished to the lower regions, because he not only felt he was on equal par with the Almighty, but tried to convince the other angels that they were a bunch of saps for all their kowtowing as well. The devil is a gentleman, and he conducts his business in a gentlemanly manner. He wouldn't ask a guest to dine with him and expect his guest to deliver a grand eulogy to him before cocktails. Such a transparent display of admiration would disgust him. His goal is to uplift man's dignity, not further degrade it. Ah, but would it be quite a different manner were he to witness some form of sincere dedication to him? Such an exerted effort to carry out his work, as you are doing, instead of just praising him for it. Everyone responds to compliments for a time, but flattery soon wears thin if it's apparent that the flatterer is doing it for ulterior motives. Satanism is a give-and-take situation, with equal emphasis on both. So, what is this at core, and why am I bringing it up? Uh, Well, Let's talk about the gentleman's experience first, and that little example here I I gave of it, um, I'll reiterate quickly, is that he lived his life as a good Christian and got nothing for it. When he turned to Satan, he got everything he wanted. I think what you're going to find here is that there's a psychological component in his experience. Because all he's doing is praying, he's not performing ritual, he's not literally doing anything outside of breaking from the mold that does not work. And what he's doing is using a number of satanic principles here unknowingly, which will lead to his success. He's recognizing that what he has done does not work, and so he's adjusting. Um, Anton LaVey wrote, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If you still don't succeed, try something or someone new. And that's exactly what this guy is doing. He has failed through this belief in God, which everyone in their right mind would, and he has turned to something, in this case, polar opposite, something and someone new, the devil. But what I think is happening here is not so much that he turned to the devil. He's not employing any greater magic, certainly not in the examples that he has given. What he has done is employed a little bit of lesser magic, which, more power to him, and admitted to himself that belief in God is not success. He has made a mental shift in his thinking, and that is what led him to success, not suddenly evoking the name of Satan. What I do like about this article as well is Anton LaVey's response and how he talks about Lucifer has always had a healthy ego. And we, as Satanists, all have very healthy egos as well. There is a point when, and, and this is actually you know, part of the sins of Satanism here, counterproductive pride, when your ego can get a little bit too much, when self-deceit, another sin, steps into the play. 
most of us understand that there is a point where we are literally fooling ourselves. Of course, when you're aware of it, you're not really fooling yourself. You're just playing to that. But there are still people out there who literally just believe that by blowing themselves up in the eyes of others will grant them the desired level of quality or success that they expect they they deserve. And that's not reality. It doesn't matter what you think other people think of you. It matters what you think of yourself and your natural way of, of promoting that. Having a healthy ego is great until it becomes a liability. <laughs> and Hilda has talked about it in a number of cases, and uh, this article brought it up, brought it on home again. That's really all I wanted to talk about in this Devil's Advocate. It's a great article. Uh, it brought up a, a number of little, you know, interesting ideas and uh, referenced a number of um, satanic sins and statements and just, you know, psychological reactions um, that you may not really think about on a day-to-day basis until confronted with a case study like this. So it's just a nice way to be reminded of these things. So anyway, how about we move over to the Infernal Informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. The first article this week is from the San Francisco Chronicle. Court. Accused L.A. dad threatened slain son as baby. That is the worst headline I've ever read, and it's actually changed since I originally had written this. Uh, This is an article by Janet McConaughey of the Associated Press, Thursday, August 16th, 2011. The mother of a wheelchair-bound seven-year-old who was beheaded and dismembered, wrote when her son was less than six months old that his father, now accused in his killing, wanted him dead because the baby was suffering, court papers show. Jory Lorette was killed after his mother told her longtime boyfriend, 30-year-old Jeremiah Wright, that she was kicking him out of their Thibodeau home according to a sworn police statement made part of the court record Tuesday. Wright, who police say confessed to the killing, was booked with first-degree murder and is being held on $5 million bond in his boy's death. That statement, used as basis to get an arrest warrant Sunday, also quoted Wright as telling investigators he was tired of caring for Jory. The boy's body, lower legs, and one forearm were cut off, found in a trash can with his torso. A preliminary autopsy indicated that he also had been bludgeoned, Police Chief Scott Silveri said. The statement by Thibodeau Police Lieutenant Kim Favalora said Jory's head was left by the side of the road so that his mother... 27-year-old Jesslyn Lirette would see it when she came home and, quote, feel stupid, end quote. By the time she arrived, police were already there and had removed the head. Wright's attorney, Carrie Cusia, director of the Capital Defense Project of Southeast Louisiana, 
said earlier reports in his client's statements had given the impression that Mr. Wright was being flippant or insincere about what he said or callous. When you read the entire statement, it comes across entirely different to me. He said he couldn't go into further detail. Wright had wanted his son dead when he was six years old, Lorette wrote in a sworn statement in September 2004. She said Wright had called her, saying, quote, He was tired of seeing the baby suffer and wanted him dead, that I needed to do something about his suffering and end it all, end quote. He hung up but called back and said he loved me but still felt the same about the baby, she wrote. A Laforge Parish judge issued a restraining order the next day on September 30th. Jory was born three months prematurely and spent much of his first year hospitalized in New Orleans. Lorette has told the Daily Comment of Thibodeau, by age seven, he needed a feeding tube. He had heart problems and cerebral palsy that kept him in a wheelchair and had limited speech. A week before she gave birth, Lorette also said she felt unsafe about Wright. She got a restraining order against him on April 2nd, 2004, six days before her son was born. She wrote that on March 25th, 2004, Wright called her names, broke the baby's piggy bank, and, when she told him to clean up the broken glass, shoved her into a pile of CDs on the bed, hurting her back. Quote, I do fear for the life of me and my unborn child, end quote, she wrote. But she apparently let the orders lapse. Kusia said he could not comment about the restraining orders, but because he had not seen them. As Lorette walked to court for Tuesday's hearing about whether Wright could afford an attorney, uniformed women's sheriff's deputies held her hands. In October 2004, a judge ordered Wright to pay $187 a month child support for Jory. The lawsuit was brought on the infant's behalf by the State Department of social services. Police took Wright into custody after she said Jory's head, quote, was that of a CPR dummy, end quote, according to Favlora's statement. Wright's hands were manacled to his waist as men deputies escorted him into court. He stared but did not speak when reporters and photographers asked if he had anything to say about his son's death. Favlora wrote that Wright was a very matter-of-fact as calmly explained that he thought for years that Jory was his son. Wright said he recently saw the way the dummy looked at him, and there were signs and little things the dummy did to him that let him know that Jory was not his son, but a dummy. Favalora said Wright told police that he was tired of taking care of the dummy. Wright said that as soon as he realized that Jory was a dummy and not his son, he started contemplating on killing him, according to the statement. Kusia said it was too early to say whether the police affidavit had him thinking about possible insanity plea. The document also quoted Wright as saying that he and Lorette had argued the night before and expected eviction. Lorette had left about 8 a.m. to get her truck, and she was planning to pick up the truck and use it to take Wright to his mother's house, Favlora wrote. Wright then said that he went to work, referring to killing Jory, right after Jessalyn left, this statement said. Wright added that because of Jory's medical condition, he could not cry much, the statement said. It continues with graphic details about the decapitation and dismemberment. Police say they found a bloody saw in a toolbox under the kitchen sink and found the boy's torso and limbs inside a clear garbage bag in the trash can outside of the home. The killing was the first since 2008 in Thibodeau, a city of about 14,500 people. That's the end of the article. I fully admit that some of those 
names I may have botched. But outside of that, let me first and foremost say that the mother has blame in this. And I know that some of you may be a little outraged by that, but she had admitted that he told her when the kid was a baby that he wanted her dead. I'm sorry, wanted him dead. And she let him still stay with the boy and take care of him. If I, I'm sorry, but if my wife said that she wanted to kill my child, there's no way in hell I would let her near my child. No way in hell. She let him take care of him. What kind of a messed up person does that and then expects to be clean? No, 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 no. I don't think so. As far as I'm concerned, she's an accessory to murder. Complete. Now, this boy may have died at the hands of this man had she kicked him out. Still, she let him stay. She left him alone with him when he admitted to wanting to kill his kid and then all of a sudden the kid ends up dead and she's, what, what? I, I had no idea. I'm a victim here. Give me a break. Obviously, this guy is messed up in the head and I'll tell you what, he's probably going to be trying for this insanity plea which is where this whole dummy talk comes out of. And I, I will completely hand it to him. He may have thought that this kid was no longer a human being because of the suffering, because of the state his physical form is in. I can accept that that's where that guy's mind is. And I can even maybe even follow a crazy man's justification. I don't accept that it was okay to kill this kid. I do not accept that an insanity plea should even be considered for this guy. I don't care if this guy thought this was a dummy and not a real person. That doesn't bring back the kid. And the fact that he said that the medical condition made it so he could not cry much while he was tearing this little boy apart? Are you kidding me? There is conscious thought in that. This guy knew he was doing this to a human being. Everyone knows that dummies don't cry. If this guy thought he was a dummy and not his son, why would he say the medical condition made it so he couldn't cry? This guy knew what he was doing. This guy killed an innocent, helpless boy because the boy's mother allowed him the opportunity, allowed the hatred to fester, the known hatred to fester, resentment, and this sick asshole did it. Don't put this guy in jail. No. Shoot him in the head right now and end it. We cannot suffer actions like this in our society. We cannot allow people like this to... Even the hint of a chance of getting out with some insanity plea to live the rest of their life in a hospital or to be released after years of service in a hospital. I don't believe in souls. I do believe that this child was born in the most unfortunate of circumstances. But those circumstances do not dictate whether he has a right to live. This mother needs to be thrown in jail. This father needs to be killed. And this should be used as a rallying cry for all those other assholes out there that think it's going to be okay as long as I plead insanity to do whatever the hell I want and get away with whatever atrocities I want to commit. 
It is not okay. We live in a society with other people and other rights. You cannot do whatever you want without consequence. And this is one of those greatest of sins. Perpetuate on a child. It cannot stand. And I have to tell you, and it hurts saying this, it probably will. This asshat will probably go to trial, waste a lot of money. The mother will act like a victim and soak up that attention and pity. And all the while, the boy is dead. Killed while he was still alive with a saw cutting his head off that he couldn't cry because he was in a medical condition that prevented it! This is when you wish it was okay to be a vigilante. Gosh. Alright. Well, I, I, I try not to get... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like yelling at you and I'm, I'm trying to just explain my frustrations with this article and this situation and these people, so I hope you take it as that. You can't help but get emotional in a situation like this, though. And I think if you can sit back and just watch this and be okay with it, you're not entirely human. Anyway, let's move on to the next article before I freak out again. This is CNN World. A child's killing frees frames Syrian's tragedy. August 16, 2011 by Joe Sterling and Arwa Damon. One video showed the tiny face of a slain girl wrapped in a shroud. Someone pulled back a bandage to show her bloodied right eye. Her mouth was frozen shut, slightly ajar. Her vacant face and lifeless head conjured the image of an alabaster bust. Another more gruesome video showed the girl before she was cleaned for burial. She lay sprawled on a pavement, bloodied and disheveled, like a crime victim caught in a tabloid snapshot. The image surfaced Sunday and Monday in Syria, where more than 2,000 people have died in five months of bloody conflict between security forces and anti-government demonstrators. The victim was Ola Jablawi, a two-and-a-half-year-old girl from the besieged city of Latakia, of Latakia, shot in the eye and killed when she and her parents attempted to flee the besieged city on Sunday in a car that came under fire, activists say. They're among those who fled as security forces cracked down on Al-Ramel, a Latakia neighborhood that had been the center of anti-government demonstrations. Syrian security forces told residents to get out during the military offensive, which occurred by sea as well as land. According to human rights activists, the anti-government protesters, that's exactly what the girl's parents tried to do, flee. Activists said she was shot by security forces. The Syrian government has yet to comment. The activists believe her father was shot in the shoulder and possibly detained. The mother's fate is unknown. On one video, a voice shrieks, She's just a child! He killed her! The evil Bashar al-Hazad! A reference to the nation's president. On another, a voice says, Look, these are Bashar al-Hazad's reforms! CNN cannot independently confirm the authenticity of the videos and the reports about them, so it is very difficult to find out how the child died. The United Nations global leaders and human rights organizations all have urged the Syrian government to allow humanitarian workers, UN representatives, and the media access to the country. Those pleas have had no effect. 
But the videos are the latest in a series of grisly and disturbing images to emerge from the country. Protesters consistently say the government is responsible for the conflict and bloodshed. Syria has consistently blamed the violence in the country on the armed gangs. Nevertheless, Allah was an innocent caught in the crossfire of an intensifying battle between those calling for freedom and the regime intent on staying in power. Back in May, the UN's Children Fund, or UNICEF, called on the government to spare civilians, particularly women and children, amid reports of youthful casualties. While UNICEF cannot verify the reported cases and events, we are particularly disturbed by the recent video images of children who were arbitrarily detained and suffered torture or ill treatment during their detention, leading in some cases to their death, the agency said. Asked for an update, a UNICEF spokesperson said there is nothing really to add from the May statement. All right, so a child's killing freeze frames serious tragedy. This is the media's attempt at getting our government to step in and stop. They are capitalizing on a poor, innocent young woman who or a young girl who was caught in crossfire. They are playing on our emotions. Uh, Syria is a tough place. Their greatest ally is Iran. They share a border with Turkey, uh, who is ready to go in as soon as the UN approves it. And all eyes are on the U.S. begging us to get in there and stop the madness, stop the riots. So what is the history here? Why are they rioting? Well, this is another one of those Arabian countries who their people are crying out for democracy. They are raging against the dictatorship of al-Assad. Um, he has had this sort of iron grip on the country, and obviously with any dictatorship, if people can see others enacting any form of freedoms, then they want those freedoms themselves, and they revolt. Every one of these Arabian countries that are doing this, and there's a lot of them right now, as soon as it gets messy start to think, well, wait a second, where's the world in this? Why are we not getting support? Uh, and, you know, at some level, we as Americans have to stop and say, well, if it wasn't for support in our time of need, when we were shaking away those shackles of England, if the French didn't come in, we never would have made our own country. Never. Uh, we could all very well right now still be British. <laughs> I mean, really. Uh... So on one side of this argument, you can say, well, it is our place to sort of pay back that which we received, the support and aid of a, a, a country that needs it for people who are being brutalized. And on the other hand, you say, how the hell can we do this? We don't have the money. We don't have the people. We don't have the force. And why should we? We go into every conflict that seems like is popular at the moment. And then we end up staying in that part. And one of the reasons why we actually haven't gone in here is because our government has told us that the Syrian people don't want us in there. It's everyone else standing at the sidelines watching, calling for our action. And I can respect that. If that's the case, I can absolutely respect that. What I don't respect is the world media using the casualties of children to try to turn public opinion 
and force our involvement. Now, I'm sure they're doing it with the best of intentions, but that's bullshit. You don't play on our emotions to get us to do something against the better interests of the individual it's causing that problem to. Meaning, the Syrians don't want us there, so stop trying to pull public opinion to get us to go in there. When the Syrians cry out for our help, okay, maybe we can swing something, uh, some uh, unarmed drones, uh, maybe maybe we can uh, convince the UN to stop asking us to do everything and get in there themselves. But let's look at this on a step-by-step, -step, because if we do go into Syria, what are the, the chances, and why haven't we gone in already? One, Syria doesn't have the oil that some of these other countries have. Primary, if there's no economic reason to be there, we're not going to go in. That's number one. Number two, if we do, their strongest, um, their strongest allies are Iran and Saudi Arabia. We're not exactly on best terms with Iran. And we're on shaky ground with Saudi Arabia. They see the democratic um, revolutions that are happening everywhere else. It hasn't happened fully with them yet. And they're worried about it. So they may choose not to side with us. We cannot afford a full-blown world conflict. And I'm not just talking about money. I mean, the money side, we cannot afford it, period. We do not have the money for the involvements that we are right now in, let alone new ones. But let's talk about the human cost. And yeah, it sucks that this girl was caught in the crossfire. But that's a price of revolution. We paid it as Americans. We know that is not justification alone for doing it. We would lose potentially thousands of soldiers. And is it us versus them? Fuck yes, it's us versus them. It always has been and always will be. So, my heart goes out for those who are suffering, but it is not our duty. There is no moral authority that says that we have to help every single person. I talked before about America being the great Satan, um, being called that by everyone else in, in the world. Uh, and it's that idea that if there is not a personal price or a personal payoff, me, I don't think we should get in there. Now, if they ask for our help, that's something else. If they ask for our help and we have the capability, well, that's something else. But if for us just to get our feet in there and say, no, 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 you can't do what you want to do. We are going to stop you because we think it should be done this way. Well, that's not our place. That, that's not our place. And there's no economic benefit to it. There's no moral benefit to it. There's no way this ends up good. So, I think it sucks, again, that... Uh, women and children and men are being sacrificed for their freedom. But it is the cost of freedom. Let them honor that. And stop demanding our involvement in something that the individuals themselves involved don't want. And I'm not just talking about the Bashar al-Hassad side. I'm talking about the rebels side as well. So, that's where I stand on it anyway. Let's go ahead and take a short break, and then on the other side, I will see you with Raoul A. Chaos Sedated. Landlord's Basement on Radio Free. 
why not venture down into Lambert's basement and join me, Dave Ingram and Eagle, Hello. where we time travel via nostalgia to a golden age of big band swing and jazz, only available on Radio Free Satan. Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave, post-punk, and other hits? Jay Nothing, the host of the Metro, will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable. Get the weekly updates at RadioFreeSatan.com. And remember, Hail Satan. You know, dogs are different than cats. And hey, what if Jack Nicholson were on... Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. Through the underbrush, fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She is swamp water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. I'm being joined by Raul A. of Chaos Sedated, one of the other fine shows on Radio Free Satan Network. Raul, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. Before we start talking about Chaos Sedated, the podcast, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay, um, I'm living in San Diego, California. Uh, I've been active in the, I guess you can say, post-industrial music uh, scene for a few years now, I'd say since about 2003. It's a kind of style of music I was into since I was in high school. So as I got to know 
a lot of the artists and the people behind the record labels. I started attending shows and um, realized it's a pretty close-knit community. So I was able to uh, participate in in promoting shows and uh, doing a little bit of DJing, which I'm not sure how much of that you can call DJing when it's this kind of music. It's not like you're... Yeah, it's ambient experimental music. There's not much DJing. There's mixing involved. Uh, It's usually more like creating layers of sound. Uh, So anyway, during live shows, I would... Play music between sets uh, and before and after, so um, that's how I got to to be active in that in that scene. So when I knew of Radio Free Satan for quite a while, and then when Matt Paradise was at the helm, I knew that he had some interest. He was familiar with this form of music, and I sent him an email asking if uh, he would be interested in having me do a show that specialize in this kind of music that wasn't covered on the station at the time went from there so paradise was in charge of radio free satan for a bit uh yeah yeah if i recall or at least he was a general manager and managed the shows and such wow i had no idea i gotta tell you there's a lot of like the radio free satan history proper that i'm missing (laughs) that every time i interview someone new about the podcast (laughs) a little bit more is uncovered it's like this big gigantic hundred piece puzzle I think I have 25 pieces so far. So. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot more history before I was involved, so uh, I can't really speak to that. Um, uh, but, you know, I've worked with Matt Paradise, uh, Shane Bugby, and now uh, Tiberia 9. Cool. When did you first realize you were a Satanist? Uh, I'd say when I was in high school, probably around sophomore year. Um, in high school, uh, how do I say, I I did a lot of cutting out of class when I was in, in my freshman year of high school. Uh, I went to a really overcrowded high school. I didn't really um, didn't really get along or have any cliques that I was really interested in. So I uh, I would bail out of class and uh, actually would go to the bookstore in Manhattan. I would I would ride the subway into Manhattan and uh, go to this large Barnes & Noble that was uh, in the Lower East Side of the village in Manhattan. And they had an occult section there, and I would browse around there, just uh, you know, spend some hours there. And I came across a Satanic Bible, and I read through it, and I immediately identified with it. It, it was not a revelatory text for me. It was more along the lines of being surprised that someone put to paper what I've been thinking throughout my my youth. So I, I picked up the book and I noticed there was a there was a postcard or something in that in that book. I think it was for Feral House and I wrote to Feral House and got their catalog and picked up uh some of the other books that they publishing uh, one of them was I think the satanic witch at the time yeah and uh, I believe they also published uh, secret life of a Satanist I got in touch with Adam Parfrey did some research on some of the background picked up more books and did a lot more research from there oh yeah what what made you take that leap 
I always find it interesting between just living your life as a Satanist and joining the organization. Well, I didn't join the organization to, to many, until many years later. I, obviously, in high school, and you know, wasn't of age to join at the time. And it, it wasn't so much of a jump for me because it was. I read the the material, and I immediately knew I was a Satanist. So it wasn't a big change in my lifestyle or anything. I just continued to do what I did, and living the life you know I well living the way I I, I saw fit. So that not much change in that, and I was never the type to really go around uh, calling myself a Satanist or, or or pushing that onto others. You know, throughout high school, every now and then, some kids would ask questions. Uh, I was I was more of a I guess metalhead, you can say back then. Yeah. So I kind of stood out in 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 that time. Growing up, past high school into college. Uh, you know, my roommates and classmates would be somewhat would know that something was not I was not like the others, and some would ask what my ideas are, what my philosophies are, uh, and I would explain to them in general terms. And those times that I did actually tell them about Satanism, it was more along the lines of here's what the general principles of Satanism are and here where you can here's where you can go to get more information about it so it was more of a foundation for me and i just continued to live my life like that and when i well i, I met a lot of people that were involved in the church of satan and i worked with them i, I worked with uh kevin slaughter uh, a few years back and uh, a lot of the musicians that i work with in the scene uh and the I guess in post-industrial neo-folk martial music scene, they had a background in Satanism as well, and I, I always uh, resonated with those individuals. So I can see that there was a network of people with similar interests. So I decided at at one point to kind of step forward and officially join the Church of Satan uh, as a way of showing my support for an or- for an organization that works towards the goals of a satanic from, from works towards satanic goals and provides a network of people that uh, I can work with in future projects and uh, as an active member I think it, it benefit yeah, again you could you you get access to say the special interest groups and such so that helps in, in terms of networking oh, yeah. Well, very cool. Um, what actually influenced you to start podcasting? And you may have actually answered this before with your, um, you know, intense background just in the scene itself and, and DJing. But I would imagine that there's a pretty big difference between you know going to a club and and you know spinning some some music versus actually sitting down in your office and recording a podcast. Well. Yeah, I, I would say that I have three experiences, three separate experiences as a DJ. There's one as a a club DJ, which I've done at actual like goth industrial clubs playing industrial music, which was more of what one would consider an actual DJ, where you have songs with beats and you had to match the beats and make sure the music flows. So I did that, and then I did the whole post-industrial dark ambient 
quote unquote DJ, which is more like a uh, an informed iPod player, <laughs> uh, iPod, yeah, uh, an informed jukebox. Yeah, so there's not much of uh, there's not much technique there, uh, other than setting the mood for for the crowd between uh, shows. So I did that, and podcasting is a little uh, is different, of course, from from those two experiences. Uh, I'd say it has more is more in common with. Uh, like say the show DJing I've done where it's it's I'm not doing anything fancy I'm mostly setting moods with my music I'm mostly layering dark ambient uh, tracks that I that I feel go together one of the differences I've heard on my show as opposed to the other shows on the radio uh, on Radio Free Satan is that I, I tend to create one long flow where all my songs, I try my best to have all my songs blend together. Of course, there's the cuts. There are the cuts between uh, segments uh, to to put in the ads and the promotions. But otherwise, it's just one flowing stream of music, and sometimes it'll go from dense ambient to hard electronic abrasive noise, and then back to to some ambient stuff. And so, you know, that's a different technique. That's a different style than my other experiences. So I, I think that this was a different kind of uh, way of me working with music. So I decided podcasting would be a good way of exercising that. Very cool. So it sounds like you take it almost to like an artistic level versus just like throwing down music. You're trying to blend them together. You're trying to create atmospheres and moods. And do you think that's why you chose to run a podcast with dark ambient atmospheric music or is it are you just naturally um, drawn to that type of music and so you want to work around that passion I am drawn to that music the reason why it's formatted in that way in that technique actually is mainly because I I don't like recording my voice (laughs) so (laughs) I I, I don't like to uh, introduce songs and he's like, no, playing blah, 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 blah. Or uh, I don't do a lot of that. I, if you've listened to my show, I do that at the beginning where I announce the first track and then I do a little bit at the end where I announce, where I review all the tracks I've played. Uh, so when I first started uh, podcasting, I, I didn't feel like I should be that kind of radio DJ that you know announces what he just played and what's coming up next. Because, like I said, not I'm not entirely into that, you know, that that format. And also, the music does fit that kind of flow. A lot of the music is is ambient, um, and there has been a kind of change in uh, style uh, when I first started. When I first started, I, I played more neo folk and martial folk music, uh, just because that what that's what I was personally more into at the time. So as for what drew me to this kind of music uh I, I don't know it could be just the aesthetic it could be the mood that it sets uh, I, i've always just been attracted to to weird uh music i mean i can tell you uh a, a little story of how i first uh heard of dark ambient music uh, yeah. i first heard about dark ambient music through a friend who listened to the same radio station as me wsou and he gave me a call one night and he said, 
hey Raul, you need to tune into this station right now. Like they're gonna, they're playing some weird shit. It's it's really weird, yeah. and uh, it's kind of creeping me out. <laughs> I said, oh okay, fine, and I, I I tuned into that station, and yeah, it was this dense dark ambient music that I've never heard of. You know, I was familiar with rock music, with metal and things of that sort. But this was just music that had more in common with classical music or just deeply orchestrated and, and layered. It was really rich music that uh, that really spoke to me. And I immediately grabbed a, a tape and I plugged it into my uh, stereo and I hit record and I recorded that whole uh, that whole show and made a point of recording that show whenever it came on and uh, I would later have found out that this kind of music is dark ambient music I, I, I contacted the radio station found out uh, who those artists were and kind of made it my mission for a few years to find out all the artists that were played on that station because uh, this was pre-internet at least in the way we know it now. And a lot of these artists, their names were in German and, and Swedish. They were from Norway. And you know, I, I can decipher the names that were being said on the radio if they were said at all. So uh, I looked up the record labels like Cold Meat Industry and some of the local record uh, shops in New York City. And I asked, them, you know, I, I would play them the tape I had and ask, like, who is this? Who is this? And they would give me clues and um, point me the way. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes, you know, this is a tape of some ambient drones and like, oh, I guess this is Raison Dietra, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so even they didn't know sometimes. So it was interesting. It was, it was, a, it was an adventure. So in terms of this podcast, when I first started the podcast, it was mostly dark ambient music with uh, neo folk music. Are you familiar with neo folk? I'm not. Uh, neo folk. Well, it's it's. I guess you can say uh, modern folk music, but with a a darker twist to it. Uh, a lot of it you know, is very Eurocentric or, or Western centric. Uh, you have artists like Death in June, or most uh, it's probably most well known. Uh, Current ninety three. Soul Invictus. Uh, I think those are some of the major uh, neo folk artists. Blood Access, I guess, would be my my favorite of them. But so it was. Uh, so that was basically the format of the show when I first started. It was uh, dark ambient with this folk music also, and and a lot of it had martial undertones. You know. Um, Martial drumming, uh, very uh, Wagnerian, uh, a very Wagnerian sound. With bands really? like Der Blutarsch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I still play some of the Marshall stuff, but not so much the, the folk stuff. Uh, I just kind of grew out of it. Um, no, I wouldn't say I grew out of it. I just just haven't followed up with the newer bands and kind of just been more into the the dark ambient and. Uh, Martial neoclassical artists, so my show kind of went away from from having a lot of folk music to uh, being mostly industrial dark ambient. And at one point, I just started putting in more of this harsh noise, this um, I guess you, what you can call uh, power electronics. 
And I think for some listeners that may have been a little jarring because it, you know, you have, uh, I'll play a song of, uh, of dark ambient, of a dark ambient artist. That's very, uh, how do you say, I don't know how to describe it. It's very atmospheric. It's very, uh, something you could almost fall asleep to. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, and then I I would I would blend it into a song that would just go into a screeching high frequency, uh, just barrage, and, and so uh, I've gotten you know emails or from people like, what the hell? At fifteen minutes, I <laughs> almost fell off my chair. Yeah, so I I, I kind of like that, and hence the name Chaos Sedated. Um, I kind of felt like, even though I didn't plan that out, I didn't. That was just a name that kind of came to me, and I, I went with it. Uh, it actually kind of fits the kind of music I play now that, that I'm more comfortable layering, because uh, you have that chaotic, harsh, abrasive sound from the industrial and power electronic bands, blended with some of the more ambient uh, music that I also feature on the show. Very cool, man. Yeah, I was listening at work today to, <clears throat> excuse me, this uh, last week's episode that was published on Monday, I believe, um, where uh-huh. they uh, opened it up with I think it was like almost seven minutes of um, that uh, Ticket to Hell um, little uh, song oh, loop. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not familiar with it, but like after like two minutes, I was like, all right, so what's the next song? <laughs> after like yeah, four minutes, I was yeah, like, oh, I- holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like what I didn't realize is it was like reverberating through my office space. So like I had like three people in offices down the hall come walking like what is that? What are you listening to? Oh wow! It's like turn around, <laughs> ignore. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> it was yeah. just like so intense, and then you know it sort of just like faded out, and you introduced um, that song and you know the songs after it and stuff. So. Right. Yeah, it was it, it was like hypnotic just listening to it. So I would imagine a lot of this type of music is similar um, in that it just right. sort of relaxes you and you just sort of get in this groove that the music is setting you in. So I right. can imagine that being pretty damn funny if you're suddenly like kicked out of that mood yeah. that you've been prepped for. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I, I think interjecting myself, you know, between every song would kind of kind of ruin that. Uh, um, yeah. So you know, I, I kind of let the songs kind of blend into each other. Um, yeah, that 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 track was uh, by No Festival of Light, and uh, yeah, it was. It's just a it's a simple sample uh, of a movie, and they reverberate it, and they layer it, and, and they have it bounce around the stereo. It's it's interesting, and uh, it's definitely yeah, I imagine if you're, if you're not familiar with it, if you're just some a uh, regular guy in the office, you can hear this, like, what the hell possessed his computer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. I, I was going to ask you how you came to that name of Chaos Sedated for your podcast, but you sort of already answered that. Did you want to elaborate on that at all? Um, is this something that you, you, you formed the idea of first and then you started making your podcast, or did you just say, hey, I'm going to do a podcast, this is the type of podcast I'm going to do, and you just sort of fell into it? Well, uh, when I first started the the whole term of of podcasting was something that was just no that was just uh i guess forming uh there weren't many podcasts around at the time 
even the whole word podcast is uh, refers to you know an iPod. It was just a, a neat technology of you know using RSS to to feed audio files to an iPod, and it, it, so I kind of saw. I, I listened to a few podcasts myself, and I thought, hey, I can do this. I can. This is I have the software, and I have the I have a huge music collection. So I was like, I can I can make my own uh, radio show. But then I, I kind of thought about it and say, hey, I know Radio Free Saint was looking for DJs at the time. Uh, and I, I kind of reached out to Matt Paradise and uh, decided, you know, I can, uh, I can go that route. Uh, they had some of the infrastructure already in place. So, um, yeah, so I had the idea of a podcast uh, for some time, but I decided just to go with Radio Free Satan as, as a delivery for it. Oh, yeah. Would you like to see your show evolve at all in the future? I mean, there are some things uh, I'd want to do with it. Uh, for a little while, I tried to experiment with, say, uh, adding news and events in regards to, say, some of the artists and record labels. But, I mean, these are such small artists and small record labels, and I'm not sure how much of my audience is... Um, would be interested in that, and again, you know, the more inter- and the more I interject, the, the more I ruin that kind of atmosphere of the of the show. So, not sure if I want to go that route. Uh, I also wanted to do some more interviews, and I did get a couple recorded, but I never got over the technological hurdle. And I guess you're solving it here. Uh, but at the time, um, I was calling people on a landline and and recording that uh through the uh this college uh, through a college radio station um who that had that set up so uh when i left when i graduated from college i I didn't have access to that equipment anymore and just quit with that idea yeah it's you know and just from from having messed with it for a while, I still use like cell phones every once in a while. Like if I have to, if, if it's a quality individual you're talking to, you know, no one really cares. <laughs> I mean, they you know they want to hear the content. They don't really care so much whether it's a little staticky or not. Yeah, um, and a lot of the artists that that I feature on my show are are European. So there's that, uh, you know, having to call international. And I actually did one experiment with a guy from Sweden, and we 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 had a, a short little interview, and I recorded it. And when I uh, when I went back to listen to it, it was just not the quality. I guess it was audible, but you know there was his language barrier, you know his his because broken English, and and there was that. Uh, on, layered on top of the poor quality kind of made for not, not the best recording and we both decided just to uh, try it another time when we have a better uh, setup and I just never got around to it but maybe in the future I'll give that another try and, and maybe the show can evolve into a more interactive um, show so where can people <laughs> find your show uh, you can find it at radiofreesatan.com there's a chaos dated link down there that'll take you to RadioFreeSatan.com forward slash chaos underscore sedated dot HTML. Right. So there you can download the last two episodes and uh, get a little preview of what's to to come on those episodes. I'm going to be, yeah, I'll be working 
in the future of getting an RSS feed out there. You know, I think that's something that uh, that that would be really helpful to to promote the music. You know, to get people to download it easier. So I'll be working on that, and I'll also be working on chaosedated.com, which I'm actually working on right now as we speak. Uh, which will be which will have an archive of the playlist from old shows, so people can use that as a reference and maybe download some of the old shows that are no longer uh, posted on RadioFreeSatan.com. That'd be very cool. Do you ever take recommendations for artists? Yeah, I do. I, I certainly do, and you can uh, you you can email me at uh, info at invisible war dot net. And uh, I've gotten I've gotten requests. I've gotten emails uh, for for artists. Uh, I've gotten questions as to you know how to buy some of this music. So if you hear something you like, you, know, you could always uh, reach out to me, and you know I'll, I'll put you in touch with um, websites which I recommend, which I frequent. So you, know, you could always reach out to me that way. Uh, I'll also be working on a Facebook page for Chaos Sedated. So. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to the website. Um, I would love to be able to get a hold of some of the past podcasts that you've put out and just sort of have them running, you know, when I'm entertaining or when I'm just, uh, <laughs> you know, sitting and reading or, or anything like that, or just fucking drawing for that matter. Um, I, I think I think atmospheric music and sort of ambient is the best in those times for me. Um, and and I actually, you know, I I only recently got in or was exposed to it, and so I've, I'm sort of um, CRMO three was the first that I had ever actually like delved into it, to be honest, of, of any type of just like atmospheric music. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very interested in uh, learning more about it and and hearing more of the artists and stuff. And since your show's the, <laughs> the catalyst for that, or the 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 center of it, you know, the easiest on this network. I think everyone else should be doing the same as, you know, heading over to Chaos Sedated and, and checking it out. Yeah, I, I, I would like I would like that. Yeah, I've worked with uh, Ceremony 3 at, at, at Tear Instinct. Um, you know, I, I'm working with some individuals uh, in the satanic community to uh, get their music on the show. And uh, they've got some great stuff out there. Uh, and this, I think, this past show I played... Uh, Tear Instinct and I think in the, some prior shows I've played uh, The Invisible War mm. so which is uh, a fellow from Germany who plays some neoclassical material that I enjoy oh yeah oh, well. you know a lot of what I do on Chaos Sedated uh, a lot of the music comes from my own personal collection but I personally wouldn't be able to uh, have some of the newer material if it wasn't for the help of uh, certain record labels that have uh, given me promo materials such as uh, Tesco Organization and you can find that uh, you could search for Tesco Organization or Tesco USA and also Annihilus Records uh, uh, the guy who runs that, Lee or Leech uh, he's been very helpful in getting me some of uh, some new material from from there, and also Cold Meat Industry. Uh, that they've sent me a lot of good material. So those those guys have been a real big help. And I'd like to just let you guys know if you find anything that's interesting on the show, you should head over to those guys, and uh, they'll likely have something that uh, you'd like. 
Hell yeah. We'll definitely check them out. But after you check out Chaos Sedated. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Raul. Uh, it has been a true pleasure, and I hope everyone out there listening to my show will take time out of their schedules and check out Chaos Sedated. It is a fantastic podcast, and uh, again, it was a true pleasure. I wish you the best of luck with your podcast, and uh, hail Satan. Oh, hail Satan. Thank you. And that is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let's bring this on home here. and I'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Undercroft Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. You can also listen to the show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe through iTunes by searching 9 Cents. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit Undercroft at satanet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine Satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, hail.